You're listening to the Good News in a Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Please turn in your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, we will be reading uh, the entire chapter as we continue our study of this book. For many of us, uh, Revelation has long been uh, a mystery. It's been a, a confusing book. All of the weird symbolism and all of the weird imagery, it's, uh, it's somewhat intimidating. Uh, most of you know that, that I did not grow up in the church, and I, I remember when I was a pretty new Christian, early teenager, that I looked at my Bible at Revelation and I thought, I have no idea what this is about. Um, it was very confusing to me, and so I, I just kind of forgot about it, and I think that might be the tendency for, for many of us that... We look at Revelation and we think it's something for the scholars, something for theologians to debate. But uh, as I've been saying to you throughout the series, that this book is meant for your comfort, that this book is meant to encourage you. This, this book is meant and designed that, that as you go through the trials and the difficulties of the Christian life and living in this fallen world, it's, it's not meant to confuse you. It's not meant to, to just be this end times document that allows you to compare the Bible to the newspaper, but it's meant to comfort you. And that's what we're going to certainly see this morning in, in Revelation chapter 7. So let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. After this, John says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Everything in this section of Revelation revolves around one question. And it's the question that's found at the very end of chapter 6. Notice what it is. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? All of this section of Revelation revolves around that question Who can stand? Who has the ability, who has the strength, who has the righteousness to stand before this holy God who sits upon his throne? Now that's a question that's asked at other places in the Bible. For example, 1 Samuel chapter 6, the Philistines ask, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? David asked the question in Psalm 24, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? Same question is asked here at the end of chapter 6. The sixth seal is opened. And if you were here last week, you remember that all of these, all of these cataclysmic events strike. There's a great earthquake. The sun becomes black. The moon becomes like blood. The stars fall to the earth. The sky vanishes. In a very graphic way, the day of judgment has arrived. Jesus Christ is coming to judge the earth. And the fact of the matter is, and we confess this every week in the Apostles' Creed, one day Jesus will come as judge. One day he will return to judge the living and the dead. One day the wrath of God will be poured out upon this earth. The question is, on what basis do you have any hope that you will be able to stand before him on that day? Now before we get into this chapter, I want to remind you all of the context. Back in chapter 5, so two weeks ago, we, we were introduced to a scroll that was sealed with seven seals. That scroll is a, a symbol of God's plan all throughout history. And you remember that there was only one found worthy to open that scroll. Only one worthy who can execute God's plan, and that is the Lamb. That is Jesus Christ. And so, chapter 6 contains the opening of the first six seals. We looked at that last Sunday. And as I told you last week, as these six seals are opened, we are told three things that are true. First of all, what is true on earth Second, what is true in heaven? And third, what will be true one day when Jesus returns? We looked at that last week. Now as we come to chapter 7, we would now expect that the seventh seal is going to be opened. We, we think in a linear fashion. We, we think chronologically. And so we would think chapter 6, the first six seals are opened. Now we come to chapter 7, and so the seventh seal will now be opened. But that's not what we find this morning. The seventh seal will not be opened until chapter 8. 
Chapter 7, our passage this morning, is, is kind of an interlude. It's, it's kind of a break between the sixth and the seventh seals, and it's designed to show us something else that is true. You see, we don't want to read this chapter as if what happens here in chapter 7 comes after the events of chapter 6. In other words, chapters 6 and 7 do not describe the order in which these things take place. Instead, John is seeing things from different perspectives, a, a different camera angle, if you will. And as I said to you again last week, chapter 6 is showing us what is true on three different levels, what's true on earth, what's true in heaven, what will be true one day when Jesus returns. Chapter 7 continues this same theme, what is true, specifically what is true about you, what is true about the people of God. Now, I want you to understand that this would have been very helpful and very important for the first readers of this book to hear. Put, put yourself in the shoes of the first century Christians. You are constantly living under the threat of persecution. You have heard stories that happened maybe 30 years ago how Nero had taken Christians and put them in his garden and lit them on fire to be torches for his garden parties. You have heard all kinds of stories about how your friends and how other Christians were put to death because of their faith in Christ. And, and now you're hearing about the judgment that is coming upon the whole earth. And, and surely you, you would be wondering, What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us as Christians? Will we be able to stand? Will we be able to make it? God gives this chapter to his people. He gives this chapter to you to comfort you, to assure you, to remind you of what is true about you, what is objectively true about God's people. And, and I would suggest that, that just as this was comforting for the first century Christians, so this is comforting for you this morning. Because this is what the holy God, who is the king over all things, says about you. Two things. First of all, what is true of God's people on earth? And then secondly, what is true of God's people in heaven? Those are the two parts to this passage. If you look at your Bible, you'll notice the first thing we're told is that there are four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and they're holding back the four winds of the earth. And then there's another angel who has the seal of God and he's saying to these other four angels, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Now you can't, you can't read Revelation, without asking all kinds of questions. You, you can't read this chapter without asking all kinds of questions. And already there are two questions that we should be asking. First of all, what does it mean that God's servants are sealed? What does that refer to? As I said to you last Sunday morning, um, one, of the, one of the keys in interpreting the Bible is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. 
In other words, if you're, if you're studying a passage of the Bible and, and you don't understand what it means, it's helpful to go to other places in the Bible that might shed light on that passage that you're studying. studying. And, and so when we're trying to figure out what it means that God's servants are sealed, it's helpful for us to look at other passages of the Bible. Now when it comes to seals, the, the Bible uses the imagery of a seal to refer to a couple of different things. First of all, seals were used to prevent someone from tampering with what was being sealed. In other words, seals were used for the purpose of security. Children, one of the examples of this would be the tomb of Jesus. You might remember that that when Jesus died on the cross, they They took his body off of the cross and they placed him in a tomb. And and to keep that tomb secure, not only did they station Roman soldiers right outside that tomb, but they also sealed that tomb with a large stone to keep anyone from coming in and potentially stealing the body of Jesus. And so stones were used in the Bible for the purpose of security. Secondly, stones were also used to mark ownership. In the book of Song, in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, we read this. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Did you know that in that day, uh, to mark that a couple was married, they would They would take some little object and they would tie it around their arm with a a band or a rope or a chain of some kind. It It was a sign and a seal that this person belonged to someone. We do something similar today with our wedding rings, don't we? To mark that we belong to someone in a sense, to mark that we are married. Or think of baptism. Baptism is a sign and a seal. When a child or an adult is baptized, God is placing his mark of ownership upon them. Children, when you were baptized, you don't remember it probably, but when you were baptized, God put his mark of ownership upon you. It was a seal that you belonged to him. And and so that answers our first question. Seals were symbolic of safety. They were symbolic of security. They were were symbolic of belonging to someone. But the second question is, who are these people who are being sealed on their foreheads? Verse 4 tells us that they are the 144,000 from every tribe of the sons of Israel. That raises two more questions. First question is, is the number 144,000 to be taken literally? And second, is, is this phrase, every tribe of the sons of Israel, also to be taken literally? In other words, is this referring just to ethnic Jews? Well, we have to remember that Revelation is what we call apocalyptic literature, and as such, every number is not to be taken literally. For example, the the phrase, the seven spirits who are before God's throne, is not to be taken literally, but as a symbol of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so I don't believe that the number 144,000 here is to be taken literally, nor do I believe that it refers only to the people of Israel. 
Instead, this, this number, these people being sealed on their foreheads is symbolic of the entire church of Jesus Christ, both Jew and non-Jew. And the reason I say that is that one of the important points that the New Testament stresses is that Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians, are not part of God's plan B. In other words, the thinking is that, you know, Israel rejected the Messiah, and so God turned to his backup plan. Paul says that's not true. The church is not plan B. Nor are Gentile Christians second-rate citizens in God's kingdom. Both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are part of the one people of God. The one people of God. True Israelites are not those who have simply been born into a Jewish family. True Israelites are those Jew and non-Jew who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul makes that point very clear in in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11. He also makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 2. He says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, he says this to Gentile Christians. So then, you are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, you're no longer plan B, never were plan B, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now you say, well, what does that mean for me? Christian, what that means for you is that every promise that God gave in the Old Testament is also for you. Every promise God made his people in the Old Testament is for you. When God promised in the Old Testament to send a Savior, Genesis chapter 3, that promise is for you. When God promised that there would be a king who reigns over an eternal kingdom in the book of Daniel, that promise is for you. When God promised his people the promised land, that promise is for you. You have the promise of a heavenly promised land. And so what we have here in the 144,000 is a symbolic way to speak of the fullness of God's people, Jew and Gentile. In other words, all of God's people have been sealed. Now put this all together, and, and why is this important? Take your Bibles, if you have your Bible, and go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. You might know this as um, Paul makes a wonderful statement about the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. It's kind of funny because in the original language, Paul doesn't use any periods or commas or anything. He just, it's like one long run-on sentence from verse 3 to verse 14. Children, you're, you've been told, you know, don't write run-on sentences. Well, Paul wrote one, and it's a beautiful run-on sentence. And it, it, it describes for us all of the blessings that we have in Christ. And, and he talks about um, the fact that we were chosen before the foundation of the world, Uh, He talks about the fact that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Uh, All of our sins have been forgiven. We have a heavenly inheritance awaiting us. And and then notice what he says in verse 13. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were what? Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see how Scripture interprets Scripture, don't you? You see how you can look at the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, and, and you wonder yourself, what, is it, what does it mean that, that our foreheads have been sealed? Well, God tells us. Your sealing, Christian, is not with a what. Your sealing is with a who. You and I have been sealed by God the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, we have a tendency to kind of put the Holy Spirit on the back burner. Some people have called the Holy Spirit the the forgotten member of the Trinity. And it is true that the Holy Spirit's ministry, one of them, is to point people to Jesus. But we don't want to forget how important the Spirit's ministry is. It's an amazing thing to consider the fact that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in my life. He's taken up residence, Christian, in your life. He is our seal. And remember the purpose of a seal. First of all, because you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you are secure. You are safe. Christian, no one can tamper with you. Ultimately, no one one can destroy or stop the work that God has begun in you. You might wonder to yourself sometimes, am I going to make it to the end? Am I going to continue to, to walk with the Lord? If you are his, you will. You will endure to the end because he has sealed you. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And then secondly, because you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you also belong to God. That's what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, that that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. These are wonderful truths to rest in. Revelation is not a mystery. It's a comfort. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are secure. You belong to God. In a very graphic way, we're being told something very profound here in chapter 7, and that is that none of those destructive things from the previous chapter, from chapter 6, famine, plague, persecution, death, none of those can cause you any ultimate harm. Now, now this doesn't mean that you'll never get sick. This doesn't mean that that no one will ever make fun of you for being a Christian. This doesn't mean that uh, you'll always have the perfect job and have more than enough money. But it does mean this, that if and when these things happen to you in your life, they will never separate you from God. They will never sever your relationship with God. He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, I I also want to remind you that this sealing is not an automatic 
ironclad guarantee to anyone and everyone who was born into a Christian home. We're going to look at this tonight in in Matthew 21, but the idea that, that if you're part of the covenant community, you're safe, that's simply not true. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. He also says this in Galatians 3, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul is saying something we must never forget, and that is that salvation does not automatically come just because your mom and dad are believers. Salvation does not automatically come because you were raised in the church. It does not automatically come because you're a member of a church. To be a true Israelite, to be a true member of God's kingdom, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must embrace him as your Lord and Savior. You must trust him to save you from the final judgment that is coming. And so children and young people, as wonderful a blessing it is that you were raised in a Christian home and brought up in a Christian environment and brought to church every Sunday, you must still believe in Christ. You must still embrace him as your Savior. And for the one who believes... This is such a wonderful picture. We have been sealed. No one can tamper with us. No one can snatch us from God's powerful hand. That's what's true of you, Christian. That's what's true of every believer on this earth right now. Now the second thing we see is what is true of God's people in heaven. John looks and he sees a A great multitude of people that no one can number. Now now this doesn't mean that it is some infinite number of people in heaven. It means that it is uncountable for us. God knows all of his own. God knows the exact number. He knows you by name. But for us, it is an uncountable number. These are people from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language. And they are standing before God's throne and they are standing before the Lamb. This is the church triumphant. This is the church that God has brought out of the tribulation and the trials and the distress of this world. And they are before him. Children, do you remember that that all the way back in the book of Genesis, God made Abraham this wonderful promise. He said to Abraham, Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the sand on the beach. Can't even count them. The picture here in Revelation 7 is that all of Abraham's spiritual descendants are here. Not just Jewish people, not just white people, not just people who speak English. People from all over the world, from every time in history, every nation in the world are before God's throne. That is an amazing picture. I don't know how many of you have... um, had the chance to worship in churches before, 
that are extremely diverse. But uh, back in 2018, when my wife and I were in Europe, we, we worshiped in a church in Basel, Switzerland, that, that to the best of my recollection, there were over 20 different nationalities represented in that church. It was a really incredible experience to worship with people from all over the world. Different colors, different languages, different nations. And that experience in Basel, Switzerland was just a, it was a little foretaste of what we will enjoy for all eternity. Here are all of God's people John sees. Not one of them is lost. All of them are there. Notice that they are dressed in white. That means sin no longer clings to them. Not only have they been freed from the, the penalty and the power of sin, but now they are free from the presence of sin. No more sin. They're carrying palm branches. There's a, there's a connection here with what is known as the Feast of Booths in the Old Testament. The Feast of Booths in the Old Testament was a, a week-long Jewish festival where they would build temporary housing made out of um, tree branches, and they would live in those for a week. And it was a reminder to them that, that God had provided for them all through the wilderness. And he brought them to the promised land. And so it makes sense for, for God's people in heaven to be holding palm branches because they're rejoicing that God had taken care of them. They're rejoicing that God brought them through the wilderness. He brought them through the tribulation of life. And now they're before his throne. And if you are a Christian you know that God has provided for you all throughout your life. He's kept you secure in his love. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. And notice what this uncountable multitude is doing. Verse 10. They're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Children, you know that, that every Sunday at the end of our worship service, we end with what is called doxology. The, the word doxology simply means a word of glory. We're giving glory to God at the end of our service. And this morning, we will, we will sing as our doxology, Psalm 150. Sing hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise God within his sacred courts. Praise, praise him in his heavenly height. Praise, praise him for his deeds of might. It's a fitting way to end our service. We, we don't end our service by me saying to you, you're dismissed, see you next week. We end our service by singing a word of glory to God for who he is. And what he's done for us. That's what we'll do in heaven. We will never stop praising him. For the salvation that he has graciously given to us. Now the end of this chapter contains some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. Notice what it says in verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, 
and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Christian, God is your shepherd right now. He's your good shepherd. And he will shepherd you every day of your life. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will give you the strength to endure when you wonder, can I make it? And he will take you one day to his very presence. And forever and ever, we will be in his presence. He will will shelter us. He will shepherd us. He will care for us. He will protect us. And don't you love how the chapter ends? God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Literally, in the original language, you could translate it like this. God will rub out every tear out of their eyes. Children, when you cry, maybe you fall and skin your knee, maybe something happens and and it makes you cry. When when you cry, mom or dad might come along with maybe a Kleenex and, and wipe your tears away from your eyes. But you know that that one day you're going to cry again. You're going to fall down and hurt yourself. Or something else is going to happen to you. And and once again you will have tears in your eyes. The original language is constructed in such a way here that it literally says that God will rub your tears out. He will blot them out. And the picture is that they will never return. That's coming one day. On that day, there will be no more sadness. There will be no more pain. No more loved ones ripped away from you by death. All those things will be gone forever. And who's this promise for? Verse 14 those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Very simply, what that means is that only Jesus can take you to heaven. You can't get there by your own performance. You can't get there through your list of qualifications. You can't get there on the coattails of your parents. Only Jesus Christ can take you to heaven. You must come to him in faith. You must believe in him as your savior. You must trust that only he can shelter you from the wrath that is to come. And so brothers and sisters, take these truths home with you this morning. What is true of you on earth is that you have been sealed. You are secure in his love. You belong to your heavenly Father who will never forsake you. And what is true of God's people in heaven is that they are before his throne. No more pain, no more sin, no more death. And all those tears have been rubbed out. One day, one day, that's where we will be.
Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and take us home. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful way in which you remind us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That he has taken up residence in each one of us and that therefore we are secure, we belong to you. And Father, as we go through this life, we thank you that you are always with us. We thank you that the good work you began in our lives, you will bring to completion. And you will take us one day into your very presence where you will rub out all of our tears. How thankful we are, Lord, for the hope that we have. It's not because we are worthy. It's not because of what we have done. It's all because of your grace and mercy to us in Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be thankful and help us to live with an eternal perspective, with a heavenly purpose. And help us, Lord, to tell others of this good news that Jesus Christ saves from the wrath to come. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.